Um, my name's Valerie. Uh, I'm Valerie. Guys, I'm a compulsive over and under eater. Um, I identify that way um, in part because I realized uh, when I started going to program outside of LA that um, the way that we identify allows other people to identify. Um, and you know, until I knew that this was a disease and all the facets of this disease, I wasn't able to sort of um, get into this. Um, Jisa, thanks for asking me to be here. Um, so, just the basics. Um, I've been in program since 2003. Um, I came into the rooms via a counselor I was seeing at the time. Um, I had seen a few counselors uh, through that period of my life, and um, I, at that point, I was restricting. Um, and, and usually, when I talk about my story, I was really good at restricting. I was really good at it. Um, but uh, it was crazy making, and you know that that obsession with food was there, and that obsession with being skinny was there, and. This counselor I was seeing was like, why don't you check out OA? Um, and my stepsister is in OA and was in OA before I was. And um, my dad's in AA and my mom was in Al-Anon. And like, you get where this is going. Like, this, this is not unfamiliar territory for me. Um, and I think because of that, it was sort of like, well, you know, like it didn't want to go there. It didn't feel like it was um, a fit um, and I was skinny. So, like, you know, that clearly wasn't the problem. Um, so I went to my first meeting in Atwater, and it was um, a very small meeting, and it was a lot of um, maybe 50 to 60-something women not in the same sort of stage of life or um, arena of life that I was in, so I didn't quite relate. But the speaker at that meeting was, like, a wickedly smart, like, uh, younger creative woman um, who had a problem with food and and just listening to her talk um, I really did relate and there was also there was a woman in those rooms um, who was again an older woman um, who definitely appeared to have the anorexic side of this disease and she was chewing gum like like that action was going to power a city like it was. <laughs> and that I related to like I saw her and I kind of went oh shit um, because that, that was the kind of behavior I, I was in at that time like I was restricting I was exercising a lot I was you know chewing gum so that I wouldn't eat you know that, that kind of stuff and so there were there was enough in that meeting that I related to that I kept coming back um, and I started calling the woman who had led that meeting, and she became my first sponsor. Um, and, and that, you know, and, and thus started the journey. Um, but yeah, as I say, so I've been, been coming to the rooms for about 15 years. Um, what, what got me in was the restricting side of the disease. And um, at that time, I, like, I, you know, I was thinking about it last night, um, you know, and just, just sort of what I was going to say and all that good stuff. And... You know, 15 years is a long time, right? Like, that's that's a long time to be in the rooms. And, like, I'm 44 years old now, so I was, like, <coughs> just shy of 30 when I came in. And, like, I was young. I was young, like, when I came in. Like, that's, that's a long time ago, right? Like, a lot has changed since then, and I've grown up a lot. And a lot of that growing up is in here, but, like, my, my brain was just, was like, not wired the same way. Um, you know, and I, and I just say that because I think the 
you know, the journey of recovery is um, is that journey of growing up. We hear that a lot, and, and that's definitely been my experience. Um, so, so yeah, so at that time I was very much on, you know, like, I thought my life was about to begin, and, and in my brain, I went to college late, like this, this you know, my, my disease really kicked in when I went to college, which is around 28 or so, and um, I remember saying to myself, like, I'm going to keep the weight off when I go to college, I'm going to keep the weight off when I'm studying, and like, that was a goal for me um, at that time in my life, and, um, and wow, where that took me, you know, over those few years that I finished out school. Um, was was pretty kooky. Um, And at that time, I didn't realize it was a problem. I didn't realize that what I was doing was trying to control the course of my life by controlling the appearance of my body. Um, I had that experience that I think a lot of people have in these rooms, um, and this was before I came into the rooms, where I lost a bunch of weight and got a lot of attention. Like, all of a sudden, like, I felt like this little star, and you know, people were like, "Wow, this is, you look great!" And it's like, it's like all of a sudden, I was being noticed, and it's like that was a blessing and a curse, right? Because um, really, I didn't want to be noticed. Like, you know, I wanted to be fabulous and I wanted to be loved, but I didn't actually really want you to see me. Um, which I think is the, the irony of this this whole thing for me is like, you know, I want all the attention, but like not really. Like, I don't want to be standing up here. I don't want to be talking. Like, you know, the whole thing. Um, so. So yeah, so I, I kept coming to program, and um, you know that first sponsor was really um, she was just the, she was the first experience I really had of unconditional love. Like my parents are awesome, like I said, they both were in recovery, um, you know. But but the ability for like somebody I didn't know to to just be like you know constantly picking up the phone, constantly sharing their experience, constantly, like, she'd invite me over to lunch. She's like, you can't figure out what to eat? Come over. I will make you lunch. You know, that kind of stuff. Like, um, and I remember her saying to me, you know, like, I was so scared to, to commit to this program. Um, that is a character uh, attribute they have. I said, you know, I, I, I will do the dance. I'll stand on the edge of the pool for ages waiting to jump in. And, and she said to me, she said, as soon as you're ready to jump, I'll be here. I'll be here to catch you. Um, and she really was, and she was just an incredible, um, you know, sort of example of continuing to work this program and, and what the what the identification and the, the particular um, the the brain of the compulsive overeater that can sort of welcome in, you know, someone who's new and getting to know this side of themselves, like um, was really healing. Um, so, yeah. So a number of sponsors on, you know, this, the, this, this thing evolved for me, and um, the, one of the experiences that was um, fun for me in program was that I got to gain weight in the rooms. That was great. Um, <laughs> my, my lowest weight, just to, just to say the, the numbers, like I was around 100 pounds at my lowest weight. Um, which is underweight, and at my highest was probably around 155, 160. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of range in there. Um, so I had that experience of, of getting to gain weight and get back to a, a normal body weight um, in these rooms, and I hated it. And I got really angry and really cynical. And what was really cool is that I came to these rooms every day, and I heard about people who binged and went from, like, drive-through to drive-through and 7-Eleven to drive-through to 7-Eleven. And I was like, I'm going to try that because expletive, expletive, like, I don't get to have the body I want, so I'm going to, like, you know, just just go all in. Um, 
so sadly, but probably truly, I, I somewhat learned to bench in these rooms. And you know, that's, 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 only, that's only half the story because as a restrictor, there was a, you know, there was a biological imperative to binge because when I was um, you know, starving myself, like there was a point where my body was like, no more, like no more. Um, and so I would eat something and I couldn't stop. And like literally I couldn't stop because my body was trying to say, you're not getting enough. You, need, you actually need this food. Um, so as frustrating as this disease can be, there is wisdom in it. Um, and there is wisdom in the things that it makes it do. Um, so, so yeah, so that, you know, that was long for short how I got to my highest weight. And that was a really frustrating um, place to be. Um, but, you know, y- you guys know there's, there's ebbs and flows in this, in, in this process and in this disease. And, you know, I went way up and then I came down. And, then, you know, there were, there were some of those fluctuations and, and relapses and things like that. Um, in my story, and um, for today, March 23rd, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, that's, that's just part of the journey that I needed to, to go through to get to the middle ground um, for my body. And um, a lot of my uh, a lot of my journey, like specifically around food and learning to eat, um, and, and continually, like food is still, it's like, it's not clean and perfect and easy and I don't have like a, a hardline abstinence um, and, and that's okay because I think as a restrictor, like I said, I was really good at like putting it in a box and counting the calories and like not eating that or that or that or that, you know, um, and, and that's just a way of like, you know, not showing up for life and feelings and, and risk and scaredness and, you know, um, trying to really be in the control. So for me, part of the recovery is... Um, is trying to be in that gray area and trying to be a little more fuzzy um, because I do actually think that's what my higher power wants for me is to be, you know, normal um, food and not like super regimented and restricted. Um, and again, that's that's my you know that's my story and um, you know caveat everything I say is is my opinion and my experience um, around this recovery. Um, so yeah, so that that's kind of how the food evolved and I did something with a sponsor that was, you know, around um, intuitive eating and trying to get in touch with my body, um, my body's actual needs, and, and as a restrictor, that's, you know, you suppress those, you suppress the body's um, natural inclinations. Like, nope, not hungry, not hungry, not hungry. Um, so that was, that was a good bit of, of healing around, you know, how to eat and what to eat. Um, Another part of, you know, kind of the early days stories is, um, and again, I was thinking about this this last night, um, talking to my sponsor about, you know, sort of what it looks like now. Um, you know, there was a time early days where, uh, you know, before program where I would literally eat something and I would be like, okay, I need to walk for 25 minutes or I need to be on the treadmill for this long or I need to, like, literally work it off that day, like there was this, um, you know, there was this formula of how it needed to play out and, and what I needed to do to um, neutralize whatever food I had just eaten. Um, and that, you know, like, that's what's so great about standing up here and sharing the story and like thinking about it, because I, like, I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about what it was like, because it's like, ugh. you know, it still has this ugh feel to it, but like, that's not my story anymore. That's not what I do anymore. If I, you know, if I overeat, um, if I indulge in something, like if food gets messy, there's no damage control. There's no damage control. There's no like going out to the gym that night or the next morning or like trying to work it off. That just doesn't happen anymore. Um, and I think that's the, 
that's the biggest piece of recovery for me is working towards a place where things get messy, um, things are imperfect, and the judgment gets to be dropped because I think the I think the disease is in the judgment. The disease is in like not accepting that this is what the body looks like, or not accepting that that was what was on the plate that day, um, or wanting it to really be different. So, so that for me is a big um, a big piece of, of recovery. This is that moment when I get to be like, oh, where do I go from here? I'd like to go all over the place. Um, Talk a little bit about my experience with the steps. Um, Like I said, my, my family... Is, is all is all in um, with 12-step recovery. My dad, uh, my dad was always like, "I've got a first edition big book for you. Like, are you ready?" Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, that you know, this, this language was not unfamiliar. And like, and, it, and it's you know, it's interesting to know that like statistically speaking, like. I don't know, something like 50% of, you know, children alcoholics end up with an eating disorder or other compulsion. So I'm like, statistically speaking, I was meant to be here. Um, but, uh, but, but getting into the steps for me, um, and still, is very much a, a journey of seeing my resistance, seeing what that resistance is telling me, um, and kind of doing it anyway. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's very rare that I'm like, yay, I want to do steps. Like, ooh, that's awesome. You know, like, um, I think the writing is difficult. It's, uh, you know, it's emotionally, it can be emotionally very tumultuous for me. Um, you know, but, but, but certainly, you know, steps one, two, and three, um, just that recognition that there's, there's something else going on that, like, my formula of this is what I eat, this is how I exercise, um, you know, this is what it has to look like. Uh, you know, steps one, two, and three help me break that down and, and get a little bit of distance from that. My one of my first conceptions of a higher power, because um, you, know, you hear a lot of stuff about higher power in the room, so I think a lot of us struggle with connecting with that spiritual element. Um, you know, uh, making nature my higher power, or you know, making a doorknob my higher power, or you know, there's there's all these sort of tropes of, of how we try to come to terms with this. But the the easiest one for me to to really lean into um, in the early days was this idea of almost like that biological imperative. Like there is wisdom in in bodies and living things, and you know, left to their own devices, they're going to seek health they're going to seek balance um, and my body and my spirit is no exception um, and sort of just being like oh okay like there's there's this you know homeostasis that wants to happen for me um, you know because it couldn't be this woo woo thing it couldn't be like cutesy it couldn't be like you know like there, there were a lot of sort of things that just I, I was like no that's just I just can't do that um, I can't really believe in that thing and um, you know and I think that's a that's been a thread for me throughout recovery is just trying to find the most sort of basic, simple, um, almost inarguable higher power. Um, and what I come back to, you know, these days, um, you know, many years into you know, the sort of spiritual path is just this idea that, you know, and it's, I'm sure it's in the big book somewhere, like God just is what it is. Like reality is my higher power. Like what's happening? Like this is it, you know? Um, 
my disease is all about wanting things to be different, not accepting, hating how it's going, like, you know, all that stuff. And so just being able to say, like, that, you know, like, this is higher power for today, um, that's, uh, that's sort of where I find God most days of the week. Um, I think I also find, um, you know, I find that for me, what works best is a higher power that's internal, and that can get tricky, right? Because, like, we all know about, you know, things about crazy thinking and all that. But if I'm reaching for a higher power here, that's almost the same as reaching for the food out there, reaching for somebody out there to make me feel better, something to make me feel better. So, um, for me, higher power is really about um, connecting with what's good and calm and peaceful in me. Um, because if I don't think it's in there, I have a problem. Like, if I don't think I can cultivate that place of being, um, I really do have a problem and I really will go to the food. Um, and that takes a lot of work. You know, meditation has been really, um, really important for me. Um, it's really hard to sit down and do it, but, um, but it really is, is one of the places that I see recovery the most because it allows me to just settle for a second. Um, and when I'm caught up in my day and I'm doing my things and, you know, being my high-functioning, high-performing self, like, um, there's a task orientation that takes me way up here and way out here um, and, and sort of down in my belly is where I, I can feel that calm and feel that settledness um, that I think, you know, that I associate with higher power. Um, and, you know, sort of good orderly direction comes from in there. Sweet. <laughs> uh, so, so I want to um, share a story and I've, I've always said that I should write this up and put it in the 12-stepper um, but I've never gotten around to doing that um, my second sponsor uh, worked both OA and AA um, and I also incidentally let go of drinking probably about 2015 that is part of my food journey as well as um, all things but it was really related to food but Anyway, so she, um, I had taken a job, I was probably about a year or two years in, and I had taken a job for a company that was based in the UK, and I had to go over there for training, and, um, like, like, I remember her telling me, like, get wool socks, it's going to be cold, and I was like, okay, thanks. You know, so it was, like, not just spiritual guidance, but, like, just real world practical guidance, um, but she said to me, she, you know, I was really, I was nervous about going, I was nervous about the job, and I was nervous about just sort of going out in the world and, um, you know, trying to be a new baby in recovery. And she was like, when you land, just find a meeting, any meeting, doesn't matter what program, and just show up. I was like, well, I can do that. Um, so there was, uh, in London, there was a, an AA meeting that I went to at a hospital really close to where I was staying and working, and it was a Sunday night, it was late, and whatever, and I was jet-lagged, but I was like, and, and the way that they do sharing um, in other places in the world, like, people just jump in. They don't, like, raise hands and get called on. It's just this really, like, you know, kind of, like, they barrel in. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. I don't know how to do it. Um, but I think they left, like, a second at the end of the meeting for um, out-of-towners or whatever to, to identify. So I just like, raised my hand. And, and I just shared. I was like, you know, I'm here. I'm training for a job. Like, nervous. So glad to be with you guys. da 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 I kid you not, the woman next to me is like, are you with Blah Blah Company? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I'm training you. Huh? Oh. <laughs> 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 I'm like, yeah, I'm 
ever think that there's not a higher power. <laughs> like that's that's the story, and like that that really happened, and um, and that's one of the amazing things about these rooms, right? It's like you get this sense of safety and being cared for, and like being connected in a way that like it just doesn't happen. Like, like that just doesn't happen, right? Um, so yeah, so. Um, yeah, that, that's that's my story of higher power. Like that, that if I just show up and take direction and like you know do the things, like that there are people looking out for me. And I mean that's the that is by and large what keeps me coming back to these rooms is that um, there are thousands and thousands of people out there that I meet in a day. And like if I see one of you guys, I feel better. Like I feel so much better because I know you understand like the emotional and spiritual struggle that I've been through, um, and I know that I can understand you. And that that feeling of connection is is so important. And also, I'm so glad to see some visitors in the room. Um, like I, you know, I had an experience like I, I my mom died in um, in December, and I was going to meetings in Texas where she was from, and like it's that same thing. It's just like you know you're held when you walk in these rooms, and it's that's so important. Um, and also shout out to the podcast. I, um, uh, as much as I don't really want to be recorded ever, um, when I, I lived in Dublin for a year in 2015, and these podcasts, like not only are they world famous, they are so valuable to people. Um, they were valuable to me. Like I, I got to listen to you guys while I was there, um, and that's it's just such a huge service. And we talk about that when we announce Lifeline and what have you. But it really is important to um, show up and, and put the message somewhere where other people can access it. So um, we'll just leave it there. If that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. You said when you overindulge yourself right now in recovery, if you don't go for a jog or something. I mean, um, like I know when I do it, I, I, I kill myself. You know, I'm just the worst critic. I'm mean to myself. So what do you do? Um, yeah, so the question was, uh, when I overindulge or overeat, how do I uh, kind of silence the inner critic? Like, what do I do? Um, usually the first thing I do is I call my sponsor. Um, my sponsor, all my sponsors have always been um, a really gentle voice to remind me of what the end goal is, and the end goal is serenity. So if I've already overindulged, and then I want to beat the heck out of myself for that, like clearly that is not the next indicated action. Um, so a lot of it is just having somebody reflect that back to me. Um, uh, and, you know, like I really try, um, falteringly, but I really try to cultivate that inner voice in myself of like, it's okay. Maybe that's what she needed today. Um, you know, I really do think that, you know, if I'm eating to, if I'm eating, I'm seeking something emotional. And if that food is going to help a little bit, then maybe that's okay just for today. Um, it's not where I want to be all the time. Um, and it's not where I am all the time. But I think sometimes, like, it's, it's a tool we use because it worked for so long. So it's natural to pick it up again sometimes. Um, so I think just really trying to remind myself that it's okay it's not going to be like that every day and like it's not the end of the world you know what I eat is not really that big of a deal yeah. thank you um, I, I didn't hear you talk
talked a lot about the, the feelings <laughs> um, and that you like had and that you were using this to um, whatever you were using, however. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so can I talk about the feelings that, uh, that were what sort of... Um, Instigated my my coping with food. Um, all of them, all the feelings, <laughs> all of them. Uh, I I saw my outside help uh, on Thursday, and and she reminds me that like I have almost like a phobic reaction to feelings. Like I will do anything. I will keep really busy. I will keep busy doing steps or going to meetings to avoid feelings. I will talk to my sponsor to avoid feelings. Um, so yeah, the things that um, and. And it's interesting, the feelings, some of the feelings that I, like I had the, I've had a couple of big losses in the last few months, and I don't eat over grief. I don't eat over loss. That's, that's one that I don't try to stuff down. Um, but what I eat over um, is a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of confusion, um, a feeling of anger. Um, you know, I, I, I eat over the things that I feel like I can't solve. You know, like, and, and most of them are things that I feel like I can't solve. Um, and I think especially with, with anger, um, I know we're, we're, I know the big book talks a lot about, you know, self-righteous anger, justified anger, and, and that we don't have a place for that. I need to have a place for anger because anger is telling me what I think is important and what I think my boundaries have been, you know, violated. So I can't just not have it, um, but I also don't, I don't yet know how to express it um, effectively. Or constructively, especially if it has to do with a person. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. I, I hope that answered the question. Yeah. So in lieu of having a hardline absence, how do I uh, identify my absence? My absence really is continuing to show up. Um, I think as because I have both sides of this disease, like I can, I can do things that look like abstinence that are really a lot more like restricting at the end of the day. Um, so, so for me, you know, I think the, you know, it talks about abstinence as being a state of, you know, condition of mind. Um, am I abstinent every day? No, absolutely not. Like, do I have that sort of emotional sobriety every day? No. Um, but I think that because I was so good at counting, like so good at logging all the things, like I don't even count days. Like I can tell you how long I've been showing up, but I don't count days because to me that's just a setup for perfectionism. Um, so if I'm still showing up, like that's, that's me moving towards abstinence and it's not perfect on a day-to-day basis. Like that's just the truth. Um, but again, like when I show up here and I, I share with you guys or I see people that I've known for years in here, like, I can see that there is definitely recovery. You know, there is definitely an arc of recovery from when I got in here. And so, so I try not to get into the micromanaging. Um, so hopefully that answers the question. Thanks. Um, what tools have been um, most helpful in your recovery? Um, what tools have been most helpful in my recovery? I do think meditation, and I think it goes back to that earlier question of, like, I don't want to feel feelings. And so sitting in meditation is, you know, begrudgingly, like, probably one of the best things I can do. Um, 
you know, using the phone, I think, is really helpful. I This is definitely, like, this disease in my sort of general, like, default setting of, of mind is that I don't belong, I'm not connected, you don't want to hear from me, like, I can't add value to your life. You know, all those sorts of, like, very isolating things. So I think, you know, certainly having a sponsor and certainly having fellows to, to be able to talk to on a day-to-day basis um, has been really healing. Um, and writing, you know, writing is... I mean, this is going to, you see how this is going, like all of them, the, the answers, all of the tools have been really important, but um, <laughs> but I think the, the spaces for reflection and like pure honesty, like I can just let into my journal, like whatever I'm feeling, um, and, and oftentimes that stream of consciousness like leads me back to, to the things that are, are really bugging me, and not even necessarily in a, um, one thing that I think is, is true for me is, is <laughs> For better or worse, I don't think I'm often solving my problems, and oftentimes it's really just about expressing the feeling around the problem. Like, there's not a thing that needs, like, life isn't a problem to be solved. It's just a thing to be experienced, right? So, like, there's nothing that I need to do most of the time. It's just about, like, oh, this is, I'm like, I'm having all these human feelings about it. Um, So the tools that help me get in touch with that, I think, are usually the ones that are the most helpful. Thank you so much. What is your first memory of having an issue with food or your body? Mm. What is my first memory of having an issue with food or my body? Hmm. You know, I'm kind of a late bloomer, I think, in a lot of ways. Like, like I said, I went to college around 27, you know, so, so I think that... Um, I don't think I was necessarily born with this disease. I think I was born with a predisposition to avoid feelings and to use substances. Um, what that ended up being, you know, was anybody's guess. Um, I definitely remember a lot of discomfort um, just around adolescence of, like, being in a body and feeling like it wasn't quite the right shape and and also, like, very much wanting that as a source of validation. Um <coughs> And I think for, like, yeah, probably around the same time, like, um, teenage years, that was when food was a comfort for me, like, probably, yeah, 12, 13 or so. Um, Yeah. So you mentioned that you lost your mom. When things like that happen, that... So when bad things happen, how do I stay connected to my higher power? Um, that also goes back to the question about anger um, and not having a good way to express it. Um, I, you know, I was I was really lucky in that particular instance when I lost my mom that my brother is also in recovery um, and. You know, having him as a partner in in that situation really helped because there was an automatic grounding in in program. Like we went to meetings in another program like every day when we were like going through that initial stages with losing my mom. Um, it usually happens like. For me, there's usually a phase of tantrum and anger and, like, total shutting down and rebellion, followed by um, the seed planted by someone else that, like, this is happening for a reason. Or 
not even that it's happening for a reason, but that it's okay, that I'm going to be okay. So really, I think the, that, that thing that we hear in these rooms that higher power speaks through others, like that is really my experience. Um, and as long as I'm talking to other people, those little seeds will eventually take in me. Um, you know, like I don't, there was nothing like awesome or cool or like, I'm so glad my mom died because it means this, you know, they're like, there's no version where it's like great, but, um, <laughs> but like, I'm so close to my brother right now and, you know, like I'm, I have program and, you know what I mean? So like life goes on and I, and I guess that's sort of like, it's just that process. Yeah. Um, thanks for your share. Sort of piggybacking on that question, um, you know, you come from a family of 12 steppers, different than a lot of people, you know, have a lot of conflict with their family because they don't have a program, they don't have the language or things but I'm assuming that there's probably some downsides to that too and you try to sponsor each other. How, mm-hmm. how has that been navigating you know, a multi-program family and, and you know, earning your own spot? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. So how, what, what is it like um, you know, coming from a 12-step family, so to speak? Um, so my... My dad went into recovery when I was 10, so there was definitely a before program and after program part of this. Um, my brother's been in program maybe five or six years. Um, my mom was in Al-Anon, like, for the duration. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, the, the real story is, like, there wasn't a common language because... You know, I was a teenager, and I felt like my family was falling apart, and I didn't understand that, and it totally sucked. Um, and it also, like, you know, for me, it set up this. I, I didn't talk about it, but I also am a member of Al-Anon. Just leave it there. Um, it set up some thinking where responsibility for others and their responsibility to me was very difficult to parse out. Um, I don't think we ever went down the road of trying to sponsor each other, but I do think, like, the good common language that we had was acceptance. Um, I never felt like my parents wanted me to be anybody other than who I was. Like, I don't think they ever questioned my choices or thought that I wasn't measuring up or, um, you know, and that also came from their upbringing. Um, And... Yeah, so I think that the challenges were were the same challenges that I think probably anybody growing up in any version of a dysfunctional family might have in that, you know, you got to figure out how you relate to people and how they relate to you. And, um, uh, yeah, but I, but I think, you know, at this, at this stage, you know, like my mom and I were able to make amends to each other. Um, my dad and I have been able to make amends to each other. My brother and I have been able to make amends to each other. And um, so that... You know, it's just it's just that process of like understanding that there's a process in it. Okay. So much um, for me, grief and mourning take up a tremendous amount of bandwidth, and I'm just wondering when the bandwidth is really low, mm-hmm. and um, there's fatigue and loss, and how do you not? How do you cope with a little bit of bandwidth that's left? and not use food for restricting or whatever food-related behavior? Um, so when I'm really in grief and I have low bandwidth, like how do I, how do I cope effectively? Um, 
That's a, it's a great question. Because, um, yeah, that's, that's been big lately. I think the, um, as I alluded to earlier, I have that, you know, like high-performing model of things where, like, I want to show up and do a lot of stuff and, you know, jump in and be involved and be service and yada, yada. Um, I think letting myself hide out a little bit. And I think there's a difference between, um, like I talked with my sponsor a lot, there's a difference between like isolation and actually just taking my solitude and allowing myself to have times where I'm like, I'm just going to go home and like, like do less, do nothing, um, you know, give myself even an hour. Like I, I was coming home last night and was talking to a friend and a fellow and I was just saying to her, I'm like I had such a hard week, there was so much going on so many problems, so much confusion, yeah, and I just wanted to hide out, and she's like, well, can you do that? I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta show up for this, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, um, but I journaled for like an hour, and that was me hiding out, and it was great, and I felt totally recharged, so I think um, scaling back a little bit and finding those little chunks of time where I can just do less for other people and like just go inside for a second, um, that really helps when, when my bandwidth this low. Because, yeah, I had, like, zero bandwidth <laughs> yesterday. But, yeah. So, um, you said recovery and food uh, and the body image. Where have you had the most emotional recovery? Mm, where have I had the most emotional recovery? Um, you know, I see my recovery a lot in work and in work relationships. And... And I don't know if, if I'd say that the, the recovery shows up in relationships or if the recovery shows up in my, um, my expectations of myself and other people. Um, I've been at the same job for 10 years, so, you know, obviously that's like, a, that's, I've been in recovery for 10, you know, 15 years, so like that's a big chunk of, you know, correlated time. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I notice there and just in the world is the things that just don't bother me anymore. Like, there are so many things that just don't bother me anymore. And I don't know if that's because I'm now in my mid-40s or, or if that's because I'm in recovery or, like, what that is. But it's such a blessing. And it's, it, you know, to just, like, certain things that people say or, you know, ways I think I'm supposed to show up look. Like, those things just don't have the hold on me that they used to have. Um, so that's really where I see that. It's like there's more freedom and there's more ease. Um, just in kind of who I am in the world and how I relate to other people. So yeah, maybe maybe I'd say it's just less less expectation. Mm-hmm. A couple minutes. Any other burning questions? Um, you speak about your experience with the men's. Yeah, um, can I speak about my experience with the men's. Um, my. Yeah, amends are interesting. I think they can, they've gone a few different ways for me. Um, like, I, I definitely have had that experience where I've apologized to somebody and they were like, what? You know, you did what? Like, um, I don't remember that. You know, like that. And I've also had experiences where um, I've made amends to people and they're like, yeah, and you did this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. um, so, you know, which, like, I, pr- I prefer the, the former rather than the latter, but, um, yeah, you know, I, the amends thing is a big piece of the, the process of the step work around amends is, um, 
I will. I generally will go to I did something wrong and I'll strap it up. Like I generally go to I did something wrong. So trying to figure out with my sponsor and with spiritual guidance what my part actually is, owning that and forgiving myself and then taking that to the other person. Because really, like making the actual amends to someone else is kind of this just pardon the metaphor the icing on the cake because it's really about just that self-forgiveness and, and coming to terms with my own behavior um, so and I'm happy to talk more after the meeting.